Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. In today's episode, Andy hey, is hey, good to see here. You. It's good to see you guys. Ooh. And uh, it's good to see you too. Yeah. It's good to see you too. I like those other days where I can't be here. It's been two episodes, man. Yeah. It's you're not the one who has to sit in a room with Tim by by himself. <laughs> it's you pretty know, rough. It is funny because. You know what it is? It's horrendous. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm not used to using, moving away from the mic. No, it's no, been no. too long. It was, it was good. <laughs> it was it was interesting uh, recording, it was. recording yeah. with, without you. I wouldn't say with Tim. I think we both were aware that. We didn't have you with us. So uh-huh. We're glad I, to have you back. I appreciate it. I thought I thought both episodes were really good. The one I felt bad about my audio. My audio was pretty terrible on that one that I sent in. Um, and I'm partway through last week's episode just because we're recording this so quick after it dropped. But I've liked it so far. I do think that Tim's like the rain it back kind of guy here. And I did think like, wow, he's on his own. Not that I ever really help him rein it in. I just realized I'm probably more of the problem. So was that easier, Tim, without me? Well, I just felt like I had to talk more. Usually I just sit back and watch the two of you go at it. I feel like, well, okay, no. This is so good. Let's rein this in and let's get to our episode. Oh, look at that. Oh, see, Charlie has learned skills. So in this episode, Andy, who is here, is going to talk about a debate that he viewed. Yes. Listened. I'll talk about it. I'll explain. And we will discuss that. Yep. But before we do that, as always, we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let's talk about some books. Man, that sounded good to hear that in person, man. Mm -hmm. All right. So this week I'm going to talk about a book called uh, Thinking God's Thoughts, an Introduction to Pilgrim Worldview by J. Brandon Burks. Um, This is a worldview book. I'm, I'm reviewing it for a theological journal and... So I'm reading it for that reason. I'm about halfway through. I would say if you're looking for a resource on worldview, that's going to be pretty biblical. This is a really good one. So if I were to read um, like Naming the Elephant by James Sire, that's going to be a really good biblical book with helpful philosophy that's behind it. This one has that, um, but it's it's very, very biblical in some ways. I, I really appreciate it. So is Bay maybe more biblical than philosophical? It leans that way, but there's a lot of Bonson, Van Til, and some others, which if you know those names, you're going to mm-hmm. think, well, that's philosophy, biblical, but like Van Til is very philosophical. Mm-hmm. That actually brings up the point. I'll, I'll talk about this book in more detail in a future episode. But part of why I don't know if I would recommend it is just, it just depends on your theological system. The authors are about as reformed as you get. And so throughout, there's the first probably I don't know, five or six chapters, it wasn't nearly as pronounced um, but it's getting more and more. There's a lot of covenant theology that's overt in here. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that, you know, I'm, we, we at the table know this, we could read this and use the good parts and spit out the bad parts. But I would say that if you're, if you're low, if you're, if you're growing in your discernment and you're not quite sure what your theological system is, this would not be the book I would start you with. I would, I would stick you actually with like universe next door or something uh, something in another world, even naming the elephant, I think would be mm-hmm. a better choice, even though it's a little more complex. This one though, what I like about it is the end of each chapter has a summary of what was said. Mm-hmm. And then there's almost an application, an applicational thought. And there's, there's, you know, 18 chapters in here. I'm still not clear on what the pilgrim idea is. I think the idea is that we're pilgrims on this earth, but he, I'm not far enough through it that he's 
either he said that and I missed it because I'm trying to read this at such scattered times, or um, he's going to explain it here in a little bit. So, Thinking God's Thoughts, an Introduction to Pilgrim Worldview by J. Brandon Burke. So far, very good, but heavily, heavily covenant theology. Who publishes that? Uh, at, it's Fontes Press. Yeah, so uh, Dr. Doug Brown recommended a book on the Passion Week from that same pub publisher so it's actually uh contacted them and is probably going to order some books in yeah. to their bookstore mm -hmm. so i might get a few of those uh along with it yeah it would be good if you're a worldview guy this would be a good book to mm -hmm. have but you would put a couple ahead of it before probably like, yeah i need time to think about which ones mm -hmm. but i would i'd probably put some i don't know it's there's some really good points to it i would just mm -hmm. it would depend on whom you tim you charlie absolutely mm -hmm. um pastor out there absolutely am i going to hand this to someone in my congregation Probably I'd not. want I'd want to have a conversation first. Sure. Does that make sense? So, yep. But really good. I mean, honestly, it's it's maybe just slightly more or a little bit more heightened than most of the biblical counseling books from CCEF. Mm -hmm. They're just more mm -hmm. muted, like a lot. I know. Actually, I'd say that's a lot more muted. But this is just like that, doubled or tripled. Sure. All right. So, I have not been doing a lot of reading, but I have been doing some reading and some fishing. Uh, fishing, and more importantly, turkey hunting. Ooh. I saw your posts online. To which I have a quote from a book Ooh. that brings together our podcast and turkey hunting. How great is that? That uh, A mystery. I'm interested. Yeah. Yes. So, yes, this uh, is a mystery. Th the name of this uh, book is called The Hive of the Bee Hunter, a repository of sketches including Peculiar American Character by Thomas Bangs Thorpe. Charlie. And, I love your book choices. <laughs> I just have to say that. Where did you get this one? So I listen to I listen to other podcasts uh, that stir other affections that I have, like hunting, hunting and fishing and things like that. And one of these other podcasts also very commonly references books in this type of vernacular. And there's a there's a very specific style of literature called Southwestern humor. And it was like a mid-1800s type of writing where in the mid-1800s, newspaper journalists would come from the East to the West. And at the time, West was like Arkansas. Yeah. Right. Ohio. Uh, Kentucky, yeah. Ohio. Mm -hmm. And people in New York don't know what it's like out there. And so these news, they're writing these kind of like tall tales of these people out on the frontier. And some of them became very popular and kind of in that same vein, but instead of a short story format, you have guys like Faulkner and Twain who, uh, or Samuel Clemens, if you know what I'm talking about. And uh, they, they're writing very similar stories. Like, so Mark Twain, what's his famous story about? Like guys on boats on the Mississippi River, like the same vernacular, just different uh, scope maybe. Different. That reminds me, I need to read some Mark Twain. I was talking to George from Georgia Oh, yeah. He hey, George. We haven't big, talked to you in a while, man. A big Mark Twain guy. The Philistine? He recommended, yeah, yeah no. the Philistine. <laughs> he's going to lob a stone at you, Charlie. I say that. He's going to throw a stone all right through the heart. podcast. I had dinner with him at ETS, <laughs> and he told me all about Mark Twain this and Mark Twain that. And Does I he like, like seafood? Uh, the Philistines are seafarers, aren't they? Uh, I think he had a, a salad or oh, whatever. Okay. Did you know George from Georgia is also an artist? Yeah, I did. If you follow I him learned. on social media, he's got a lot of cool artwork he puts up. I... Mark I Twain. would love to meet. We, I know. George from you. Georgia, if you come to Iowa, we you, some food. You, you get to be on the podcast. Just come to Iowa. I'm telling you, he's got a job where he's around the country. I've tried. 
He just hasn't been able to get. He almost made it to Altoona one year mm. for like a two week period. So George, well, make it happen. Speaking about our country, so these journalists would write about the Southwest, the, the West. And uh, one of the more famous Southwest humor stories is by the same guy. It's called The Great Bar of Arkansas. It's about a bear. <laughs> and and the bar, uh, yeah, bar. Great bar. And what, what these guys would do is, because so if you're, imagine yourself, you're in, in the 1800s, you're in New York. You have no idea how these people talk, how they live. And so what these authors would do is they're writing stories that really depict the character of a different culture. And that's why they became very famous, but they also... Uh, portrayed people as very like hillbilly and you know the term wouldn't have been in existence but redneck and things like that but so among these uh short stories of thomas bangs thorpe one of them is the great bar of arkansas the there's another one called wild turkey hunting it's Ooh. just about wild turkey hunting and i'm going to read a paragraph that i found particularly uh i don't know just it, it like he, he starts he starts kind of embellishing the story with different mm. things and this is where he kind of starts getting good but i liked what he says here the taste that makes the deer and fox hunt a favorite amusement is not the foundation on which to build a true turkey hunter so he's talking about the person who hunts oh, turkeys interesting the bang of hounds, the clamor of the horn, the excitement of the chase, the pell-mell and noisy demonstration are all destructive to the successful pursuit of the turkey. Consequently, the turkey hunter is distinct and peculiar. He sympathizes with the eccentric habits of the bird, with its love of silence, with its obscurity, and it's no objection to him if the morning is wild away, or it is no objection to him if the morning is wild away in the deep solitude in comparative inaction, for all this favors contemplation worthy of an intellectual mind. Ooh. So a turkey hunter, it's like he likes to hunt turkeys, but he also likes to the think. solitude to yeah. contemplate because he's an intellectual. <clears throat> Sounds like Sertayange. Yeah. And so it's just interesting. That's a guy writing about turkey hunters in the 1800s. Wow. And I would, huh. I will adopt that of myself. I do like turkey hunting because you can have some uh, contemplation in the wee hours of the morning. That's really good. I like that. So, yeah. Uh, if you're into that type of stuff, The Hive of the Bee Hunter by Thomas Bangs Thorpe. Uh, so I want to give an update on our book, uh, Song of Songs for Singles, uh, by my wife and I. Uh, we uh, have a printer, so I'll be signing a contract on that. By the time this airs, it should be signed already. And I uh, should have a release date of July 8th. I think I'll have the book sometime in June, but we're saying July 8th just to cover ourselves. So what a lot of publishers do. And plus we were like, well, it's right around our time. So we actually picked our anniversary. Oh, it's nice. It's kind of like a funny time to... So July 8th is your anniversary? Yeah, July 8th is our anniversary. Oh, ours is the 14th. We're not is that it? far apart. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean years. We got beaten years. But. Yeah. Mine is August 8th. <laughs> and that's the anniversary of my birth. birth. <laughs> <laughs> Within one month, we all three have anniversary. You guys are horrendous. <laughs> um. Your face, Charlie. So I just wanted to participate. 270, 277 pages, and I'll hope, I'll hopefully have it available for pre-order here pretty soon. Um, so knowing when it's going to arrive and how many pages it is, I'll know what my actual cost is going to be. So um, I actually have an ISBN assigned to it. So we're looking pretty close, so stay tuned for that, and uh, we'll keep you posted here on the Thinklings podcast. So I had that. Now my book is Water for My Camels by Paul Grimmond. Uh, the subtitle is Navigating the Space Between Singleness and Marriage When the Bible Doesn't Talk About Dating. 
So, uh, you know, water for my camels, he's obviously riffing off of um, uh, Isaac and Rebecca in Genesis 24. Uh, so Rebecca goes and waters the camels of Abram's ser Abraham's servant. Uh, so obviously that's not how we find spouses anymore. So how do we go about doing that? And so we have navigating the space between singleness and marriage when the Bible doesn't talk about dating. And it doesn't. So I thought that was kind of an interesting subtitle and it intrigued me. The Bible doesn't talk about dating because they didn't date. What did they do? Marriages were arranged, not usually in an Isaac, Rebecca kind of fashion, but still the marriages were arranged by the community. It was a communal kind of a thing. So what does he do? Well, first, I'm just going to talk, uh, I have like five different points. I'm going to work, work through this book. Um, he attempts to date he attempts to date. He attempts to define dating, uh, which is uh, a little difficult to do. And he acknowledges that, but still he kind of works through it. And uh, you can check that out for yourself. Um, he, I found it more helpful in that he acknowledged the difficulty in defining dating because it means so many different things to different people. And then uh, in his chapter two, he has biblical principles. And this is basically just a simplified um theology of uh, marriage and love. So it's still helpful and it's a good foundational chapter. Uh, Biblical Principles is the second chapter. And I'm not going to get into that a whole lot. I was more interested in his practical, you know, uh, advice. So chapter three is the cultural context of dating. And, um, and uh, I didn't actually have nothing from that one. Really, it's the getting practical one. That's the chapter I have all my other highlights from. Who, when, and how. So who should you date? And he has a four-bullet list, which is the obvious things. And, and this is helpful just in that his audience is a very broad audience. Uh, and, and so broad evangelicals, guess what? You need to date a Christian. So that's I was going to see... Good. I was going to see if I could guess the four. You might be able to. What do you think the other ones are? Um, you have I'm, to think explicit commands in scripture. Oh, and, so it's not tall, dark, and handsome? No, not. It's like... Christian, tall, dark, handsome. That was my four. <laughs> okay, that's like the Christian mingle version, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mean you mean mingle? Oh, sorry, mingle. Just mingle? I'm sorry, my apologies. I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> You guys are horrendous. So what are the other three? <laughs> are you not going to guess? You probably could. It was a joke. He was setting up a joke, Tim. Yeah. He wasn't really going to guess. Tim's like, ooh, let's I can, go. Okay, I can, I can try. Let me see. Um, oh, come on. Just think of the explicit commands in Scripture. Submissive? Mm. Faithful? No. Yeah, okay. No. You, so it's Christian. 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 Okay, so. You already said that one. It has to be a member of the opposite sex. Oh, okay. It has to be heterosexual. Wow. So, okay. So that's he's basically I mean. going bare, bare, okay. basic bones. Basics. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, number that's three, not, bad. That's good. not closely related to you. Wow. He's okay. This is like Deuteronomic. Or that's what Levitical. I mean. So this is Levitical. His, so his basic look at the clear commands in Scripture. God's design is a Christian, a member of the opposite sex, not closely related to you, and not already married to someone else. Wow. Okay, yeah. so those are the four. I would basics. have never got those. Nope. nope. <laughs> like I, I knew said, all those, but core I would basic. So it is nice to simplify things. Though. It is, and that's where <laughs> I was like, you know what? We need a starting point, and guess what? He gave us this is good things. Things that everyone would assume 
Yes. In a Christian setting, like they have to be yeah. the other gender and not already married. Right. So the funny thing is you're saying this appeals to broad evangelicals. Well, right. I don't, it's more of a broader audience. Let's say that. Yeah. A broader audience. So it's funny. I almost thought his subtitle would be a turnoff because it almost makes him sound like he's going to say you can't date. Yeah. That's where I thought he might go with it. Yeah. As well, so I thought, oh, no not. one's going to pick that up. Mm. Okay. He does not go there. Okay. When the Bible doesn't talk about dating. Gotcha. I thought okay. he might, but he does not. So then on page 54, when should you date? And he has this whole section about be careful if you're young. And as a generalization, he says, if you are in high school, you shouldn't date. And Amen. I thought that was, that's I mean, really that's, good. Where, that's wow. where I'm at with it. I put it in my book and I just say, you're not in a position to marry, so don't date. And, and as you go through your high school years, do things with friends and the the discipline of shutting shutting love off of turning uh, letting it sleep can help you uh, control and learn self discipline mm. and prepare you for marriage. So it's a good thing. Um, but then the funny thing was that he met his wife in high school and they dated for a whole pile of time in high school. So he's like, I'm not the best example of this, but uh, I don't date in high school. <laughs> but I do think maybe that's something not permissively, but so many people got married the wrong way and God worked. And so yeah. this is the plan of scripture. Uh -huh. But I, I do think when you're working with people, people are messy. So yeah. that's probably not bad to mm -hmm. recognize that. Yeah. He basically, basically. On that's a permiss to, permit anything yeah. you shouldn't, but that's, mm -hmm. that's just listener. We're not. Yeah. So um, statistically, you know, you're not going to get married to whoever you're dating. So don't act like you are. That was kind of another one of his Ooh. proverbial points that I thought was helpful. I'm batting a thousand on that one. <laughs> There's a lot of things I didn't like in this book, but he had some proverbial wisdom. And congratulations. I would say, I would say that's a spot on statistic. <laughs> it's one of his sub points. His marriage probably won't happen. So think of your relationship from that perspective. I don't even know what to say. I'm just going on. <laughs> okay. Tim, Tim doesn't do segues. He just ignores and moves on. And then he had a little, it wasn't much. I wish he would have developed this more, but dating in your phone. And this is something that um, we talk oh. about in our, in our book a little bit. Uh, and it, it's, it's a cultivating of the affections thing. When you are constantly connected to that individual, what is that doing to you? It's awakening love. Yeah. So uh, dating in your phone is something that the Christian subculture needs to take more seriously, uh, particularly if you are in high school, even though we say not to date, or even if you're not technically dating, but guess what? You have your phone and you're talking all the time. Okay, something's getting awakened and uh, there needs to be some wisdom um, some wisdom that some wisdom in that area and and i think a lot of times that whole phone thing can be two-year-olds playing in the street where it's just a young person that doesn't have the discernment or wisdom to shut it off or turn turn away so water for my camels uh what would i rate it i don't know maybe like a five there's a lot of things i didn't mm. like about it but i was gonna ask you like is this is this a book that you say charlie should read this no. Single guy. Charlie, should read this? No, I like Pakluda's book a lot better than this one. His idea of attraction, he doesn't develop. That's one of the things, like, there's a lot of things I don't like about Jonathan Pakluda's Outdated, which is actually on sale right now at the Facebook store. <laughs> but, um... <Plug>. Actually. <clears throat> there are, but he... That's why I asked. I really think I knew he, you wanted to Pakluda has a better understanding of attraction. And, and, and this, he... Pakluda really develops this whole idea of, well... I'm not attracted to that person, so I can't date them. And he's like, buddy, you're like on the beauty scale, a two, and you're expecting <laughs> to marry some 10. And he's like, it's not going to happen. All right. Your whole 
attraction mm-hmm. attractionometer needs adjusted. So that he even acknowledges that it can be adjusted and he develops that, I think makes his book better than this one. Uh, but of course, my book's going to supplant both of them. Of and course. it'll be available here in a couple of months. <laughs> and to that we say, boom. Boom. <laughs> Did I have something else? No, that's it. All right. Well, hey, before Andy jumps into the debate that we're going to discuss, we'll debate the debate. Oh, yeah. Perhaps. Uh, you want to give us a short life update? Sure. Yeah. So at the time of recording this, we were supposed to have had chemotherapy two days ago, but, um, Robin's really sick. She's got some sort of an influenza virus. Um, on Monday I took her to the doctor and did a bunch of tests like a family doctor. Um, that was all after communicating with our cancer doctor who said, yeah, you should definitely do that. And so then on Tuesday we were driving out and we hadn't heard back if they wanted to pause or wait for a little bit. And so we got all the way to Charlie's hometown of Williamsburg. Hey. Pulled off at the gas station across the street from the outlet malls. Which is not the best coffee shop in the state of Iowa. I, well, when I pulled off, I thought, man, I wish there was a good coffee shop because I could use some coffee. And I, I didn't, I should have texted you. I'm like, Charlie, I'm well, on this. Did exit. you know that the best coffee shop, not a sponsor in the state of Iowa is Brickhouse Coffee Company? You know, oh, we should go. Like, yeah, we should go sometime. I've we never, should. I've we never should. been there. It's good. It's really good. Have you been there? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I uh, mean, for... I, I jokingly say not a sponsor when in reality, uh, other, they, they are. They've they've given me many cups of coffee that I don't think I paid for. <laughs> you are horrendous. I fantastic. didn't ask. I didn't ask for them, but they gave them. No. I, so when when I spoke at camp last year, one <laughs> of the <laughs> one of the owners was at camp the week I was, and uh, she let me drink. She let me use her beans and her pour over, and it was just wow. it was glorious. It was so good. Those Williamsburg so, folk. So, anyways, so we pulled off there and. Uh, we got the, the the word from the oncologist that we should turn around and wait one week for treatment. So, um, and, and, that, and that was both like good and bad. You you don't want to delay, but man, my wife, Robin is just not doing well. So if you're listeners, if you could please pray for my family, um, she's sick. My, my one kid has an eye infection, has a pink eye and an ear infection. Other kids got another thing and I'm like kind of under the weather. So we're just, we're very sick. Uh, God is good. God is good, so don't think that. The Lord uses these things to strengthen you. Sometimes he uses them to show you what's inside, like show you where your love your loves are. Um, and I do, I am convinced, just like in Job, I think sometimes he allows you to go through this just to glorify himself. And you don't know how that looks. You don't know what's going on. So we're trying to trust in him. And I keep take, taking the next step forward. So, well, in light of that, I have, Charlie, like you, I haven't had a lot of time to read either. And I'm trying to read. I love that last week you were like assuming on the best of me that I was reading books and talking about them with my friends. And no, (laughs) (laughs) very little reading. I I knew he would eventually be back and we would be talking about things. So, but I appreciate your, your good thoughts. It it was very little reading. I'm trying to think I did order two books that have a bunch of uh, church history creeds and catechisms because I'd like to kind of pick apart at a couple of those. I did work a little bit more through that book on by Ed Welch, which, by the way, I found it online. There's a bunch of interaction. We posted that where um, some people have given that away. You went through it in your church. Mm-hmm. It was a really interesting little uh, side by side. Yeah. When I put the quote up, there's a lot of good interaction there. So that was really encouraging. So here's what I did. I was eating breakfast a while back, uh, sometime the week before. And I had, while I was eating my breakfast, started this recent debate online uh, between 
to Christians and to atheists. So listener, I teach apologetics here at the college. And so I've watched piles of debates and read books and it's kind of a discipline for me. And so, um, I'm always keeping up on kind of the next thing and Apologia studios or Apologia studios, however you want to, uh, say it, they are out in Utah and that's Jeff white or sorry, James white. My apologies. That's horrible. I, sh- I wish I'd never said that. He has a book called the King James only controversy, which is like an amazing book. I, if I've never done that for books and business, I call that one. I would love to talk about that. one. Yeah. You need to do that. It's I, so good. You know, it's, you've recommended it to me, but I don't think we've ever had oh, it. Oh, maybe sometime I'll do a whole episode. That's a great book. Well, we know, we know other people who've discussed such issues that we have also wanted to get on our podcast. And uh, we haven't uh, been able to mark them down yet. Yeah, stick to stick those two together, the person and his book. Okay, anyway, back to it. So James uh, White, he he's he both has written on the King James Only Controversy. That's kind of not his main thing, but he's known for that because his book is so helpful. But his main thing is that he's an apologist, a Christian apologist, and he does debates. He's a debater. And so he's debated multiple uh, Islamic imams on monotheism or, or, uh, Trinitarianism. He's debated tons and tons of atheists. He's actually debated Bart Ehrman on the text of the new Testament. It's a Mm. really good debate, by the way. It's, it's really good. Actually, I think I've seen that. Yeah. It's really what, what's, and this will probably come into what I'm talking about with the debate I watch here is you, I was a little nervous that Ehrman, every time I watch a debate and there's atheists, I get a little nervous as a Christian, like, uh Oh, is something here going to undo my faith? And I'm not, I'm not trying to be arrogant and Christian uh, who's listening. Don't, don't assume this for you. I never assume this for myself, but so far, every time the debates have been a little bit shocking, how bad the other side has done with facts. So like Ehrman, he quotes something about the number of total errors in the new Testament. And I remember thinking there's not even that that's like an impossible figure. He's making this up. And the next thing James White did was bring textual evidence that Ehrman's playing fast and loose with some textual criticism details. And the best part is that like Ehrman teach, like he has that book with Metzger on the new Testament text. So anyways, James White is very accomplished. Um, and he's written against Mormons. He's written against Catholics. He's written against, um, uh, anyways, he, he's written a lot of books. His co his co debater is Jeff Durbin. Who's also a pastor at this uh, church out there. Now these guys are all the, heavily reformed post mill. I think, I think they're like white switched to post mill recently. If I'm remembering correctly, everybody is switching to post mill. We need to to, uh, have an episode about that or something. Yeah. It's very popular right now. So in all, so, so anyways, um, side note, Jeff Durbin was a Ninja turtle back in the day. Like he was one of the Ninja turtles before he got saved on their like world tour. It's, He's like an athlete. He's like a black belt and I can't remember multiple. What? Yeah. Seriously. Look it up. It's great. Ninja turtle. Yeah. He, he was, uh, I don't remember which, I think he was Michelangelo. Yeah. I'm not kidding, but he got saved and now he's, um, a pastor. And so he and white would go to the Mormon temple and debate he, he on his, uh, other podcast called cultures. He talked about, they would have backpacks full of all the Mormon documents and all the stuff. And they debate with Mormons. They'd pull these like sh- their own documents out. He said today, Mormons are so postmodern. That they're like, well, yeah, but this is what I believe. And so you have to like totally change how you do this. All right, listener, those are the two Christians. Uh, The two atheists, uh, the one is Dr. Got the name right here. Dean Chatterjee. Chatterjee. 
and I don't know where he's from. He has some type of an accent. It seems kind of Latin to me, maybe South American. I could totally be doing that wrong. Maybe he's from somewhere else, and I don't mean to be offensive. And he is uh, one of the atheists, and then the other one is Jared Anderson. And Jared Anderson's gone to, he studied under Bart Ehrman. He's a chaplain. He works with um, people who are in hospice. He works with people in prisons. Um, he is a atheist who believes in God. Which means his he thinks God is this like social concept. And so he says, it's kind of like he uses words slightly differently. Oh, man, that's playing fast on this. Yeah, he, he he's clear about it, though. So he doesn't try to... He doesn't pull like a Sam Harris where he says the word and it means a second meaning. So he doesn't think God <clears throat> as we define God exists, but yes. God does exist in the way he defines it. In the way he defines it. As a social yep. construct. And, yeah. yeah. And he, he's very open about that. So to, to give him credit, he's not okay. trying to like make you think what he thinks and you think are the same. So, but he, he thinks of it, it is hard at first when you're listening because you're kind of- Which is better. You're like, <laughs> what are you saying? Still wrong. <laughs> that's, that's weird. So anyways- the debate is this question, do ethics depend on God? Do ethics depend on God? So Jared Anderson, he's his one of his degrees or one of his disciplines is ethics and systems of ethics. And listener, if you don't know what ethics is, I assume you do, but it's essentially the study of morals, like right and wrong, that sort of thing. Uh, and Charlie reaches for abolition of man. Very appropriate. Very appropriate. Oh, and we have Old Testament ethics by Walter Kaiser at the table. Listener, get yourself some friends who just have these kind of books lying around. It will it will change your life. To be fair, they're all Tim's books because it's his office. You know, I wasn't. I just bring have been up. in here enough to know the abolition of man was sitting there. <laughs> it's been sitting there a while. But I mean, <laughs> it's maybe, not where it belongs. Maybe Bee Hunter has something, you know, to say something. Yeah, something about thinking in the Turk in the woods. So the way the debate works is you have the two Christians who answer that question positively, like affirmative, yes, mm -hmm. and then the two atheists will answer no. So it's a 20-minute opening statement for both sides, and then a 20-minute rebuttal, or a 15-minute rebuttal, and then a, maybe a 10-minute rebuttal, and then you have a five-minute closing statement for each side, and then they did questions and answers, questions and answers. All right, here, here's why I'm bringing this up. So I'm, I'm busy. I don't have a lot of time to do things. We're on a two-ish hour drive. It was only end up being an hour and a half total, but it's supposed to be two hours out and then two hours back drive to Iowa City. And so Robin's lost her voice. She's coughed so much. So she, she only whispers right now and she's not feeling real great. So she is basically sitting in the backseat of the van with her leg up. And uh, so there's not a lot of talking and I need to stay awake. And I thought, I don't really have any podcast I want to listen to right now and don't really feel like music. Oh, so I literally just pulled this debate up, stuck my phone where I couldn't see it and listen. So here's the thing is a debate. You don't really need to see how the people look when they're saying these things. You can just listen to it. So I ended up finishing the debate on the way out and the way back. So I would just say that if you've got unlimited data, that's like a really not bad <laughs> way to like spend your unlimited data. Like it was great. And I followed the whole thing. So listener, that's just a tip. If you don't have enough time to get reading in, do that. All right. So what are some takeaways from the debate? All right. A couple things. I'll ask you guys. We'll just, well, let's bat this around for a little bit and then I'll give you a, a, a view of what the debate said. Um, can you have an ethical system if you don't have God? What, what are you, let's say, that, let me change the question. If you don't believe in God, now understand, listener, we know we're all Christians and so we're going to try to think as though we're not Christians and we're atheists. So if you're an atheist listening to this and we misrepresent you or we don't think what you think, then we're not trying to tell you what you think and just, you know, reach out to us and let us know. 
But if you are an atheist and you don't have God as an eternal transcendent being who created the universe, what kind of ethics or moral rules could you have? What do you guys think? Like, what are your options as an atheist? Socially constructed ones. So why don't you explain socially constructed? What is that? What do you mean when you say that, Tim? When uh, we as a group of people agree that this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Okay. Based upon our own experiences okay. and insights. Okay. Social construction. That's actually Christopher Hitchens's answer. Uh, when Doug, pressed, Doug Wilson pressed him on it in their debate, he thought it was social solidarity or group solidarity. Okay. Any other options? Yeah, that, that would, that was my first thought was if you take away an objective standard of God, that is the standard of, uh, you know, ethics, or we could just call it virtues in general, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. uh, where, where does the standard then go? And my first thought, that's why I pulled abolition of man off the, the bookshelf. Cause then he, he talks through some of these options. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's like, well, it's like this uh, for the good of mankind type of a, mm -hmm. of an idea. Like that's why, like the altruistic. Yeah, like why version, why would yeah. why would someone why would a soldier sacrifice his life mm -hmm. for someone if it wasn't for honor? Like honor objectively exists. Why does he do that? Well, uh, instinctually, socially, like this is what's best for humans. But then there's a problem with that statement. Yeah. How do we know what's best? See, best is a moral term. There's it's a moral. That, there, there's a term. standard that mm -hmm. you're still yeah. applying, yep. and so at some point it does. It, it, very similar to the social construct idea. Well, it sounds almost. I mean, so second, maybe like a modernistic approach, mm -hmm. where ethics and truth and goodness are out there, and we can figure it out and find it for ourselves as human if, if we work hard enough. And that would be Sam Harris's answer when he debates William Lane Craig. He okay. would say that he actually tries to. <laughs> Sorry, this is comical. He tries to go over and around Thomas Hume's argument that you can never get an ought from an is statement. So he says when you when you have science, science can give you is statements. There is mass, there is gravity, there is this. This many feet is a mile. But there's no way you can get from an is statement to a you therefore ought, ought to. to do this. You could even say in science that if you cut the jugular of a human being within three minutes, the human being will die is dead. Yeah. The, within three minutes, the human being will is, is going to be dead, but science can never get you to, therefore you ought not cut human jugulars. So there's a, there's a problem hmm. in atheism. And, and so Hume, I think it was Hume, man, if I'm getting that wrong, I apologize, but so you, you, Hume was, can the, I go one step further on and that? So Harris. Oh yeah. Go ahead. And then I want to come so back like, to Harris. You could even, you could even look at that and say that is murder. Uh, like you, or you, you can say is killing is killing. Yeah. yeah. But like mm -hmm. you, you can, you can even you can make say it, it was wrong. You though. can make a determination on what the action is. Yes. But you still can't like defining murder or killing, yep. mm -hmm. like taking of life, like, yeah. Someone intentionally, like premeditatively taking a life that still, even to call it that, mm -hmm. doesn't pass a moral judgment. Nope. It's just, a, it's a description. Even though murder is a very menacing. Yeah. So Harris tries to say that science can tell you what is right and wrong. He does it through human well-being. He says science can tell you what makes a human thrive. So um, he says it, it, it is, um, he says... What is, what is health? He says it's notoriously hard 
to, to nail down what health is. Um, sorry, and listener, I'm just going to back up and say this is from another debate between Sam Harris and William Lane, William Lane Craig. And Harris has a book on this called The Moral Land, the, the Moral Landscape, and it's not very good. But in it, he says it's hard to define health. So he says this. He says, hey, um, what is being healthy? He says, well, it has something to do with not vomiting all the time. You know, blah, blah, blah. And he says, but how, how do you define how fast a healthy person runs? You can't do it. We know what is unhealthy, but we can't always say what is healthy. Therefore, science can tell us what is morally wrong, but it can't help. It. We're not quite to where we can get to what's morally right. There's an equivocation there. Like how fast you run is not good health. It's performance. Yeah. A short person performing well. And, you know, that, that's not that. Anyway. So it's a false equivocation. It's a false equivocation. So my point, though, is that most of the time as an atheist and most atheists admit this, you're your, your option is, um, is a subjective subjectivism. That's it. It's like what I think it's my mm -hmm. preferences. And at best you have large groups that agree in that subjectiveness. So you either have object objective standards, which Christians would claim, or you have subjective standards, which atheists would claim. So Jared Anderson in this debate argues a third option. He calls it inter subjectivity. So Durbin and White keep saying, your position is subjective. It's just what you think. And he's like, it is, it is subjective, but it's a different kind. It's, called, it's an intersubjectivity. And so intersubjectivity, it's this phrase that means it's, I, I looked it up. It's, sorry, I got the definition on my other device here. Hold on. Intersubjectivity is, oh, come on, it's not here. I don't know where I had looked it up. Um, it has to do with, like agreed upon subjective standards. It's just a fancy way of saying social solidarity. So collective observance. collectivism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really. I think if you don't have God, you don't have an objective standard. All you have are two options. All of them boil down to this, like utilitarianism, whatever it is, it's either a group consensus. So it's like group social construct or power like might makes right. So whatever yeah. the party says is right, you have to agree. Mm -hmm. You don't actually have to agree. You just don't want to die. Anyways, I would say if you want to watch a debate that is kind of heady at times, mm -hmm. but a really good example of a type of apologetics known as presuppositional apologetics, this would be a good debate for you to watch. Um, Durbin at the very outset says, watch what our, our opponents here, watch what bags they carry to this debate. What's in those bags. And he, he makes this illustration that they have to bring part of the Christian worldview to the debate to be able to make arguments. It, it's really, really in, ingenious and unique the way he does it. The other thing I really liked about the debate is when Jared and then the other guy, uh, Dean Chatterjee, when they are concerned about things that, that are like morally right and wrong, even though their atheist system can't handle it, Durbin rightly points out that's the image of God and man. Like that's their being an image bearer of God. It's pouring out of them. He's just trying to help them understand and, and see it. So neither the other side makes, I think a compelling argument. Chatterjee made one really funny joke though. Um, he has that accent. I said from somewhere he's, he's from somewhere else in the world. And he, he says, you know, I'm very sorry that, uh, you know, I have this, this accent. I've, I've lived in Utah for a long time. So I have this Utah accent. So I'm sorry if you don't understand me. And it's, it's a really kind of funny quip because it's not a Utah accent, but he, he kind of, he's there for a while. But the funny thing about him is he doesn't make, I don't think he made one single argument that he gave support for. He literally just lobbed out 
claims like, well, that's wrong and I don't have time to explain it. And everyone knows that's not right. And I don't have time. He said, I don't know how many times he said, I don't have time to go into this right now. And to me, if you're going to tell me I'm wrong and then you're going to say, here are the reasons why I don't have time to go into it, but it's a debate and you knew this ahead of time. Come with one of those and give me your reasons. And so this is where Greg Kokel's um, Columbo tactic was really, really prevalent. Multiple times in the cross-examination, Durbin said, they asked Durbin a question. He says, well, before I answer that, can you tell me what do you mean by that? And that's like Columbo step one that Kokel talked about. And then multiple times when they would make a claim, he'd say, okay, that's the claim you're making, but what are your reasons? And either the reasons were very weak or like they just didn't have them and it was tautology. So it was a very interesting debate. Now I would say, um, Christian listener, uh, or atheist listener, if you have never watched a debate, they're not always going to solve problems or persuade or help. The, the value of the debate is you get to see the two, t- two sides go back and forth and you can compare them. And I would say that I think this is a pretty good debate if you're looking for an example of presuppositional apologetics. Um, a good example of, of uh, classical apologetics would be the one I referenced earlier, William Lane Craig and Sam Harris. Um, both of these, um, the, the people who are in the debate know long in advance they're going to be in debate. This one was supposed to happen and COVID shut it down and they finally got it to happen. This is like a three year in the making debate. So anyways, I thought it was interesting, but you know, here's my point. You're, you're on the way to an, uh, a, a, you know, a health appointment. It's going to be like two hours. You don't have anything to do, man. That was a really good. I'm really thankful that I listened to that. It was, it was very oh. good. I'm, that was a good use of my time and I'm thankful for that. I don't always make good decisions about my time. Um, but maybe that's something that would benefit you. And, uh, I know I was appreciative of the debate and just getting to see how they, they did it. So anyways, just for what that's worth listener for what that's worth. Here's one final thought from God's word in Isaiah chapter two, we have the children of Israel trusting in a lot of things that are not the Lord. Uh, those things might be other, uh, mystical voices in their lives um, in verse 6. They might be money in verse 7. It might be weapons of war in verse 7. Uh, it may be other deities in verses 8 and 9. People humble themselves and they worship other gods. These other gods that are going to deliver them, they're going to help them. And what is Isaiah's response to these people? Verse 10, enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. And why is it that Isaiah exhorts them to hide themselves? Because God is going to return. And what is going to happen? Anything that is exalted above the Lord will be abased. And that's what he then goes on and describes. In verse 11, the lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. Throughout this section of the text, there is an exaltation of God and a humiliation of anything that opposes or stands against the Lord. In verse 12, it states, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up. You can see these verbs of exaltation, anything exalted against the Lord, what will happen to it at the end of verse 12? It will be brought low. Then there's this odd transition. He starts talking about trees and mountains. In verse 13, 
upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon the oaks of Bashan, upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, and upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all of the beautiful boats, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. Final statement, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. When it talks about a tree, it's not talking about a literal tree. In in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is pictured as a tree. Trees are kings, and their, their height, it, 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 it extends and provides shade and protection to the people that are under their domain and dominion. And so when it speaks of the trees being chopped down, it is talked about it is speaking of other kings that are exalted. What is going to happen when the Lord returns? They will be demoted. They will be killed. In, in verse 13 when it, or 14, when it talks about the high mountains and the high hills that are lifted up, what is that talking about? It's not physical mountains. These are the kingdoms that oppose themselves to God. Again, when you think through Daniel, we have the same metaphor. We have it in Isaiah 2 verses 1 through 4 as well. But Daniel, people are familiar with, where this rock, it comes and it crushes Nebuchadnezzar's image. And then it's like this rock, but then it grows to become this huge mountain. What is the mountain? It's the kingdom of God. Mm. And reader, as you, as you think through even this discussion about apologetics and how people, they and their intellect, believe that they can create a morality, they can create truth, that is the type of truth that will be humbled. It will be abased. God alone will be exalted. And whether it's the military might or the merchants, that was where the other two things, you have the high tower and every fortified wall, that would be the fortifications and your military might in verse 15. And then the economic wealth, which would be the ships of Tarshish and the beautiful boats, the sloops. All of these things that man does, that man creates, as we exalt ourselves and we we paint ourselves in this in this majestic man is king and God perspective, God will abase. And who will be exalted? The Lord. The Lord alone will be exalted. And we hope as you've concluded this episode that you have exalted God and that you would live in the exaltation of the Lord and not in the exaltation of self. Worship the Lord today and thank him for the wealth, for the strength, for the goodness that he's given to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.